welcome back to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler-free, or we try to keep it spoiler-free. I am one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I am freezing my butt off in an ice storm in North Carolina today. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about a Discovery of Witches, currently I am reading the Zodiac Academy series by... Uh, Caroline Peckham and Suzanne Falenti, and they are genuinely bad, and I don't recommend them. But I've read five books in two days, so why would you keep reading if you don't like them? That's a good question. It's it's a very good question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I mean, mean, you know, you, you, life is too short to read bad books. I I don't just, just put them down and move on. I mean, I am like mostly skimming. <laughs> that's how I've read so much because like I care about two of the care of the like seven characters I care about two of them so anything that's not about them I just sort of skip over hmm. all right but um I did I did read a review from somebody else who was like I can't tell if the writing's gotten better or if it's just Stockholm Syndrome at this point and I was like yes oh, no. yes that's that's exactly what it is oh okay do not recommend. Got Do it. not. Anyway, uh, and to your point about the uh, we attempt at spoiler free. I mean, it's season three. Do we even care anymore? We do because not everybody's seen, you know, read the book, and so there and there are people who haven't watched the whole season yet. So there's stuff that happens at the end of the season that they don't know about yet. So we're still trying to be spoiler free. We we just we're not very good at it. I think we just we just we're demonstrated just the two points of views. <laughs> Me, <laughs> do we even care anymore? I don't know. And Mandy's saying yes, yes, we care. I don't know. So each <laughs> week we'll recap the episode, spoiler free. We'll also include mm. a segment at the end to discuss the books, how well the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers there. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get there. Our opening seems so ironic now. Anyways, episode was this or episode three was written by Michelle Gale and directed by Debs Patterson. All right. As always, I can tell you what happened in the previously on, but I'm betting you didn't watch it. I 100% skipped it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, quick recap. Isabeau tells Marcus about blood rage. We meet Chris. Peter tells Satsu about the pages. Baldwin tells Matthew to kill Jack. We see Benjamin's video and learn that Marcus will offer allegiance and forgiveness if there is a scion. Dun, dun, dun. Yep, that's where we are. I will say uh, this is my least favorite episode of the season. It's the most boring episode of it's the season. So I mean, it's important. Like, it moves things, but it it's like nothing happens. I I think it's not. It's just I don't care about these people in New Orleans. Like, it's. It's weird to introduce all these new characters for basically one episode. Like, we kind of see them later, but they're not important mm -hmm. after this episode. And expect us to care. Right. Like, the, the, the individual characters don't matter, but what they represent matters, right? I mean... Yeah. We, we need their blood, and we need their numbers behind Matthew. But we yeah. don't actually care about the individual vampires and it makes this episode kind of tough yeah because most of this episode is matthew and marcus trying to convince them 
to rejoin the family, essentially. Yeah. And they have a really good reason for not wanting to. Well, do they? Because this is another thing. Like, we, I kind of touched on this last time about how the show is working really hard to make Matthew out to be more of a bastard than he is. But, like, these mm-hmm. vampires that he killed, they all had blood rage. They were murdering people. Like, it, <laughs> it wasn't just, let's go kill some vampires just in case they have blood rage. No, they had it. They were killing people. Like, there's... When he's saying their names later, there's literally a line after somebody's name where he says she gave her time to the orphan asylums in the city. Like, fuck off. Like, what? That is just, let's make these to be out to be the best people that ever. They had blood. They were killing people. (laughs) Like, I get that he could have handled it better, especially since he himself is a blood rage vampire who has gotten it under control. And Chris has that really great line about the cognitive dissonance. But like, mm-hmm. what what is happening here? Why why is it suddenly like Matthew killed a bunch of the best people in the whole wide world? It's not that he killed the best people in the whole wide world. She I spent her time episode... at the orphan asylums. Come on, Mandy. <laughs> like okay. what? Okay, there's that one. I'll give you that one. But like this episode does something with Jack that I think is important because we get to see Jack when he's not in the depths of blood rage as, you know, a a guilt-ridden, I'm sorry, I killed these people that I, you know, that I killed them when I could not control myself, right? And so, like, it allows space for the idea that all or most or even some of the people that Matthew killed were genuine good people except when they were in the middle of a blood rage episode? I don't disagree with that. And, like, I get... I absolutely think Matthew should be remorseful and like and feel bad about what he did, but I don't think it's quite as bad as the show is making it out to be. Like there's a difference between killing somebody who volunteers their time with with orphans and somebody who's probably killing orphans. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I I get that. But I mean these the, these were family. These were their loved ones. It it would be no different than Baldwin killing Jack now. Except Jack was manipulated by an evil person his whole life. That's fair. These vampires were just on their own, doing their own thing. But I don't know. You know what? This episode also, we we touched on this a little bit last week. And I honestly do not remember how the book handled this. Because I don't remember feeling this level of cognitive dissonance in the book and feeling confused. But the previously on made it very clear that Marcus did not know that the reason Matthew killed his family was because of blood rage. Oh, yeah. Marcus didn't know about blood rage, didn't know he was a carrier, didn't know it still existed. And if that's the case, and all of these people had blood rage, but nobody knew about it, like, that just feels weird And to like, me. Or they all knew, but they kept it from Marcus? They're right. So, like, what? Yeah, so there's definitely um, some interesting plot holes there. That I I feel like the book addressed and they just didn't have the space for it here. Well, again, Marcus always knew about the blood rage in the book. Not a big reveal to him. And Uh, Okay, okay. And um, So this is just something they fucked up in the show. Yeah, this is just a weird thing they did in the show because they wanted the big reveal moment last season. I don't know. Got it. Okay. And also, we didn't see nearly as much 
New Orleans in the in the book. Like it seems weird to say we got more of something in this really short show. Mm -hmm. But the only New Orleans scene I really remember from the book is when Matthew is talking to Ransom and he names all the people that he killed. Yeah. But that's largely because the book is from Diana's perspective and Diana's not in New Orleans. Yes, that's true. But so, like, I mean, he was in New Orleans for weeks, if not months. He was there. But also when he does see Ransom in the book, it's clear that they've they've spoken before. Like, mm. it wasn't this big divide of we're not even going to talk to you. It was more like, why should we trust you now? Why should we believe you now mm -hmm. that you want to help us when you didn't then? Yeah. Nobody hated him quite as much. And he didn't. He, there was no thing about killing Ransom's mate. Like, why would Ransom ever forgive that? That was weird. Right? Unless unless his mate was murdering people, in which case, why didn't Ransom put her down for fucks? Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> well, we just talked a lot about stuff that happens later in the, in the episode. <laughs> about the bits about the, of the episode I don't like. Yeah. Um, I mean, this episode is a lot of quick cuts back and forth, but a lot of time is spent in New Orleans. That is my first note. But, we are spending so much time in, quote unquote, New Orleans. Yep. So we are still in Wales. Yeah, it definitely doesn't look like New Orleans. They did their best. They, I mean, it like they no, did, but they distracted you. me. Yeah, because they they tried so hard, particularly with the sound effects, to make you believe that you're in like the swamp bayou of Louisiana. Yeah, that it was distracting. Yeah. I'm like, why are there always these like rattle sounds whenever you're in a cemetery in New Orleans? Like, why do they do that? I've never been to New Orleans, so. Well, I can assure you that when you're in New Orleans, there's not just these random rattle sounds all the time. <laughs> I don't even know what time of year it's supposed to be. That's fair, actually. I don't either. I mean, I know what time of year it is in the books because I know when the twins are born. Right. But the show doesn't really go into that, so I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, after we meet Geraldine... Who, I mean, the actress is great. She looks great. I don't care, though. Right. I mean, she is great. I love her inflections when she talks mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. But we really only see her in this one episode. Yeah. But after that, Jack has had a blood rage moment. And he's knocked over some chairs. So he is very dangerous. <laughs> and in the middle of this blood rage episode, instead of going to where the people are to kill them, he takes himself to a cemetery where there are no other people and just runs it off. Well, where the people are already dead. Where the people are already dead. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I do um, wonder if that video from Benjamin upset him so much. How in the world did he take the flight from England to New Orleans? That's like five hours at least on a plane. Mm-hmm. Well, it would have been a private plane, though, so there wouldn't have been right because they were in the fancy private no yeah absolutely but i mean can you imagine having a vampire freak out on a small private airplane yeah. maybe I they just, just picture marcus and matthew sitting on him yeah holding maybe, him down maybe they drugged him mm. um matthew did have a line in this scene that i really like but mm -hmm. the reason i like it is weird okay um he says you control the rage it does not control you Right. And so you may not know this about me, but my favorite television show in the entire world is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, right. Yes. And I don't. I did, <laughs> This is brand new news. 
<laughs> right? Brand new. And one of my favorite episodes is the season four finale, Restless. Uh-huh. And there is a random throwaway character called the Cheese Man in this episode. Yes, of course. And I randomly quote the Cheese Man because yes. he says, I wear the cheese. The it cheese does, does not yeah. wear me. Yeah. And that's all I hear when I hear you control the rage. It does not control you. <laughs> See, my group of friends, we quote, I've made a little space for the cheese slices. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure that this is a very poignant, great line from Matthew to Jack. But all I hear is the, I cheese, wear the man. cheese. It does not, <laughs> yeah. does not wear me. So that's fair. So this, this episode is just plummeting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we do get that really short, quick scene between Chris and Miriam that is really good, where he does mention about how Matthew, a vampire with blood rage, was sent to kill a bunch of blood rage vampires. Then he's just mm-hmm. like, the cognitive dissonance is deafening. Yeah, is it great. absolutely is. Chris is great. I like getting to see Chris and Miriam together. Yeah. I like that we're getting more Miriam at all since we really didn't see her at all last season. Yeah, that's true. Hamish is gone though again. Huh. Mm, With us yeah. too too little, Hamish. That was not a good sentence. Whatever. And then I think we're back with the dream team. Diana and Phoebe? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love the Diana and Phoebe scenes. Me too. They are both just geeking out over old books. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And so and every scene with them geeking out and Sarah just in the background like rolling her <sighs> eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Laying on the couch with her hands over her eyes, like, oh, my God, make it stop. The one where she's lying on the couch with her hands over her eyes, I'm pretty sure she's also got a large glass of alcohol. I'm like, Ooh, oh, yes. Sarah, you you and me, Sarah, we are the same. <laughs> um, then we go back to New Orleans. Oh, no, no and... I have so much to say about Phoebe oh, and Diana. Oh, oh we Sorry. have more to say. Okay, go so for they're, it. So they're researching, the, uh, they're trying to figure out where the page is, the, one of the missing pages, and they come up with the Soiga manuscript. Now, in the book, the sort of equivalentness of this was the Voynich manuscript, but that is in uh, the place that Diana went to college. Oxford? No, no, no. Sorry, her undergrad and maybe her... Yale. 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 Thank you. Um, When... Because in the book, Diana was in America for a while. Oh, that's anyways, right. That's right. So they changed it to the Sorge manuscript because that one is actually in the British Museum or library. Museum. Nice. So great but, detail. So I was looking this up and I would like to read a line from the Book of Soiga Wikipedia page. So <clears throat> Okay. Uh blah blah blah. One copy of which by, was owned by Elizabethan scholar John D. After D's death, the book was thought lost until 1994, when two manuscripts were located in the British Library under the title blah 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 by D scholar Deborah Harkness. Nice. So that's just a nice little moment where they were like, well, we got to choose something that we have here and why not do this? And I like it. Never intuitive it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That, that, that was it. Now we can move on. Sorry. Okay. No, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so Diana and Phoebe are continuing their quest and we go back to New Orleans and we have what may be the most unbelievable scene in the entire show. <laughs> Uh, that has vampires, witches, and demons in it. And that is that we have vampires playing poker, and these poker-playing vampires are drinking Bud Light. I don't know a single person who drinks Bud Light. Do you? 
I do, but I also come from a family of rednecks in North Carolina, so oh, okay, you know, gotcha. it's, it's a whole thing. But like, vampires really are drinking Bud Light. Maybe Why? they were having a redneck night. I mean, they had bottles of red wine on the table and goblets full of red wine, but they also had all of these blue bottles of Bud Light. And I'm sorry, vampires drinking Bud Light is something I just cannot suspend my disbelief for. So I can't do it. That was my big moment of cognitive dissonance. The Bud Light bottle sitting like inches away from this nice looking bottle of red wine. As though the glass of red wine and the Bud were for the same person. And I was like, that would be so disgusting. That is oh. what it looked like, though. They all had a glass of red wine and a bottle of Bud. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Maybe maybe if you lost, you had to take a sip of the Bud. <laughs> maybe. And, maybe. But, and, and it would mix with the nice wine everyone was drinking and just be, ugh. Yeah. Even more so than Bud Light is normally. <sighs> yeah, this, this episode has really set the bar, hasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so did we skip a scene with... Sarah and Diana eating her grilled cheese. Nope, that's next. Oh, that's next. Nope, that's next. The the it was a very quick moment of okay. Marcus showing up to play poker, and we see the I Bud have, Light everywhere. I have my Bud Light note after it, so maybe we come back to the Bud Light. We do. We come okay, back to poker. Okay, okay, so that's... like it's poker, and then Sarah and Diana, and then poker again. So like quick cuts. Okay, um, gotcha. But then we get yeah, we do cut to Sarah and Diana having. I'm assuming grilled cheese. They mentioned that, bread and cheese, so must be. Yeah. Um, and used to make sandwiches for them. And it's all very sweet and thoughtful as they remember M. And Sarah tells her that she needs to trust her instincts to do good magic. I'm also just really glad that they had this scene because it was very clear in the previous scene that Sarah felt like she wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to have the scene where she got to contribute in more than a way of bringing them drinks, although she was also providing food in this scene but you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah 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 yeah. i mean she didn't make the food for diana right like diana came out and yeah, stole yeah, it so yeah, exactly <laughs> it's, it's fine it's fine um yeah then we cut back to poker marcus is losing and he's also not having much luck yeah. talking to them about the scion that's it more bud light and then we cut back to the british library i mean i did have a note here like we've talked about this ad nauseum at this point but all these conversations that they're having just really drives something that it does not make sense that marcus didn't know about the blood rage right because it it does sound like everybody else knew yeah exactly and it just it doesn't yeah it doesn't make sense so but then we get to go to diana doing magic in the british library oh my next note is hubbard i guess i just skipped over the british (laughs) she casts a spell and like she gets the book um that they think the page is hidden from, and she takes it to the middle of the room where there's all these people everywhere. And I'm like, how, what is she doing? And then she casts this, like, masking spell that creates a bubble, a magic bubble around her. Mm-hmm. So everybody can see what she wants them to see. Yeah. And then she does magic, and the book leads her to Hubbard. Which, um, I like this way more, actually, than what happened in the book. Because in the book, it was, like, a weird thing where she kind of did a similar... But she had to think about it a lot and blah, 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 blah. And then she just kind of quickly touched the book. And this one, she was just like, I control what you see and I will do whatever I want to this book. Which I just, I like her having, using her magic like that more, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So at, at this point, she's definitely confident in her magic and her yes, abilities. exactly. Like there's there's no hesitation on her part 
at this point, and I, I do love that. Um, unfortunately, Peter Knox does get to Hubbard first, which is an interesting scene. Hubbard has the audacity to offer Peter Knox sanctuary since he's been expelled from the covenant, the congregation. But okay, which just is beautiful. Just before we see Knox, though, or just already sort of as we first see Knox, um, Hubbard is doing his like shady shit with a witch becoming a part of his block, except that we saw last season in, you know, an England basement from the 1590s, which, as we've said, vampires, England basements, yes. But now he's in, like, a, a high-up office building, and there's uh-huh. sunlight, and it just looks so weird. It does. Him still doing his shady shit in modern-day settings. It's just yeah. weird. But it was a nice detail to include. Yes. Yes, it was. Because that's, I mean, that's what Hubbard is is known for, and he's still doing it now, so it's great. Yeah. Peter Knox is intensely offended by (laughs) Hubbard's offer of sanctuary. I'm intensely offended by Knox's stupid bow tie. Well, I mean, I'm offended by Knox's stupid face. Yeah, that too. That too. Um, Luckily for all of us, Hubbard is faster than Knox and gets to him before he can pull out his little magic ball and makes him leave. Uh, Just before that, uh, Knox has that great line, or not Knox, Hubbard has a great line where Knox says, I know how you value your invisibility. And then Hubbard just says, are you enjoying yours? Mm, Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, It's it's clear Hubbard has no love lost for Peter Knox. It's great. Well, he's protecting his guac. And I like that we get to see him actually doing it, not just talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And then back at the house, Sarah has decided that she wants to go home. And this might be telling Diana the stupidest scene, like m- m- stupider than the wine in the well. I don't know about that, but Sarah would never. She's about to be a fucking grandma. She would right? never leave Diana. I don't care how upset she is. She would never leave her to give birth alone. This is dumb. Like I can't figure out what the point of this scene was, unless this was this was the best way they came up to remind us that Gallo Glass has been watching Diana her whole life, but we already knew that. So I I don't know what the point of this is. I think it was supposed to be like Sarah's still in a bad place, even though everybody else seems to have moved on and she doesn't feel like she fits in with everything that's happening. And I, I guess, but she would never leave. No, absolutely not. Who, who Diana's would- getting really close to... Like, you can see her pregnancy is progressing. She would not leave. 100% would not leave. Yeah. Like, what? Maybe she would think about it, but then she would be like, oh, no. Especially knowing, like, the danger that they're in from the congregation right now. She wouldn't even go, like, even not even self-preservation for herself. Like, she wouldn't put Diana through the stress and worry of her going off by herself. Yep. Like, there's just, it's intensely out of character. Yes. Then we get a delightful scene between Diana and Hubbard. It is really nice. And I think I actually like it more. Although the book was kind of fun, too. Because in the book, Hubbard just shows up. He's like, here's Jack. Here's the page. Leave me out of your drama. Goodbye. Hmm. (laughs) That would have been cool, too. He kind of does that here. Like, I don't think he realizes. At this point, he doesn't know she's looking for it. Um, But she shows up and is like, I'm pretty sure you have this page that I'm looking for. And he just immediately says, yep, I have it. I have one page. Um, Tells her that Knox stopped by, that he didn't give it to her. And then, you know, tries to figure out, if I give you this page, can you 
can you guarantee that my flock will be kept out of it, that we will be safe, we won't be collateral damage in your war? And she's honest to him. You know, she's like, no, I can't promise that. But here are the consequences, you know, and here's what's going to happen depending on who gets the page. And somebody will get that page from you, be it Gerbert or Knox or me. It's not going to stay with you. Yeah. And he trusts her. Um, and he gives her the page. So in this bit, this is just me being an idiot, I guess. I wasn't paying 100% attention. So I was like, oh, wait, what what was the picture that it was behind? Because just in <laughs> case that was like a, a thing. And I went back and was like, oh, no, it's just Jesus. And I wrote that down. Just, I wrote down just, just Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yep. Just hiding behind a bad picture of the crucifixion. On the wall of his office. Well, maybe it's from 1590. Maybe it was in his old set. Oh, possibly. Possibly. Just a thought. Anyways. Then we go back to New Orleans. Yes. This is an interesting scene. Jack is drawing because that's what Jack does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned that we find out here that he's actually drawing the faces of the people that he's killed because he can't stop seeing them. And Matthew talks to him about how he thinks it's good that Jack has found an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. That he can express it because Matthew has never been able to do that. They just stay in his head all the time. Mm-hmm. But Jack doesn't seem to think that his desire to draw them is any better because he just keeps drawing them. It's not like it gets them out of his head. Um, so it's not like it's a resolution. But Matthew still tells him that he's proud of him and that he's doing a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I Yeah. Uh, there's also like a good moment where... He, uh, Matthew, where I forget exactly what led up to it, but Jack compares Philippe to Benjamin because Philippe mm-hmm. made Matthew kill people. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew says, no, 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 that's nothing, not at all the same. You know, Philippe, blah, 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 asked him to, well, whatever, like, but then Jack says, you know, cause, because it's what you're good at, because, you know, that's why Philippe had you do it. And Matthew has that small moment where he has to confront again that Philippe was not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he also, he he's trying to comfort Jack and convince Jack that it's not his fault. And he says that Benjamin was the murderer and Jack was just the weapon. Yes, that's what it is. And that it's, it's not his fault. Um, I think that's a good line. Yeah. And then we cut to Marcus and Phoebe having a phone call together. Mm-hmm. And the scene does absolutely nothing to further the plot at all. But they finally mention, in passing, the idea of Phoebe becoming immortal. Yes. But it's blink and you miss it fast. Just, yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. And then we cut to another scene. Yeah. It comes up again. I, I don't know. It, it does. But the first time it's mentioned is just in passing. Just... She's kind of making a joke, and he's like, well, yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. And then we just go to another scene. Do you think they've talked about it before? I think that she's mentioned it before. And because he he had his, like, his response was kind of resigned. Like, yeah, we're going to have to talk about it. You know, like, he said that before. Like, they know they have to talk about it, but they haven't. And so she keeps probably hinting at it the way that she did here. Yeah, that's what I figured, too, that it's kind of come up before. Yeah. How could it not? Like, it would, it would have to, you know, like, if you're going to date a vampire, then you have to seriously consider the idea of not staying a vampire. I mean, of 
Sorry. Not staying a human. Of not staying a human. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like Phoebe's all for that. It does. I think this um, is the first or maybe the second time that we've heard them say, I love you. And it's adorable. I do like them. And I think I prefer Phoebe's scenes with Diana, though, somehow. Seems weird. Well, that's just because they're both so excited about books. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Then Marcus goes to see Ransom. Marcus tries to convince him that Matthew has changed. They're trying to find a cure for blood rage. Even goes so far as revealing that Matthew is refusing to kill a blood rage vampire that Baldwin has ordered him to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, promptly sends Ransom out to find Jack. Yep. That scene freaked me out a little bit um, at the beginning. Jack in the cemetery, the way they were setting up that Jack's not alone. I was like, oh, my God, did Benjamin find him? And then it just turns out to be Ransom. The thing that I love about this scene is that Ransom is younger than Jack by, like, hundreds of years. Oh, my gosh, he is. Yeah. But Jack is the baby vampire. Jack is the baby vampire. This is what I'm saying about that being really ridiculous, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, meeting Jack is enough for Ransom to decide that he will agree to meet with Matthew. Because Jack is just that charismatic, which I that sounded really sarcastic. I kind of mean it. I really love Jack. He's great. So I love Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Quick cut back to Phoebe and Diana. And this is the good scene where uh, we are all Sarah. <laughs> yes, we are all Sarah laying on the couch. <laughs> but Sarah's the one who makes a great point here. She's the one who says, yeah. well, it makes sense that the third page would be with a demon if the first two pages were with a witch and a vampire. Yes. Like, way to go, Sarah. Diana's wearing a great white sweater. That's also very important. I do really like that sweater. Yeah. They have a track. They're looking for the book. They think they might know who has it. Yay. The, the third page. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I said the book, the, the third page. They think they might know where it is. Yeah. Um, then for some reason, we cut to a scene where Matthew walks out of a house and gets into a car. And then we cut again. Because he's going to go see Ransom and they had to talk about it. But it's literally just Matthew leaves the house. Oh, that's not when he. And then we go to Venice and then we come back to New Orleans. But like when he's leaving the house, he's talking to Marcus and Jack about it. Right. And they both offer to go with him. And he's just like, no. Yeah, I guess that's true. But no, it is it is pretty, eh? Like, I don't know why they needed the cut. They could have just done the Benjamin and Jer Bear scene in Venice. And then they could have done the entire New Orleans scene. Like, it didn't need to have this cut. It's just, it's weird and choppy. And I didn't like it. Is this the first time we see Jer Bear and Benjamin together? No. No, we saw them last week? Last week, we did see them together. Okay, okay great. Um, so now they're talking about Diana being pregnant um, Benjamin wants to go ahead and strike, but Jerbear somehow Jerbear thinks that he controls Benjamin and that he can order Benjamin to do things, and Benjamin will just do it. Yeah, Jerbear always arrogance thinks of these people. People will listen to him. <laughs> it's very strange. So Jerbear believes that Baldwin and Matthew are, you know, successfully destroying themselves, and so they can just sit back and watch. And Benjamin's like, "No, I want to destroy them," and Jerbear's like, "No." We're just going to watch. And then we go back to New Orleans. <laughs> I will say Ransom always seems to be sitting alone upstairs in the dark because apparently he's just another broody vampire. I mean, aren't they all just broody vampires? I mean, not sitting alone in the dark type of broody. <laughs> Fair. But like Fair. every single time everyone else is downstairs having a quote unquote good time. And then Ransom appears <laughs> coming yeah. down the stairs like a princess. 
I don't know. Yeah, no, it's definitely that like leader trope where the leader has to stay apart from everybody, can't join in the fun, can't join in the socializing, has to just kind of oversee everything. And I hate that trope. Yeah. But this is actually, honestly, this is probably the best scene in the episode. Oh, I don't like it. I mean, apart from the the stuff that where we've been talking about, it doesn't make sense. I think the scene is poignant and it does go a long way to show how Matthew has changed. And I think that's why I like it. Ransom just wants a shred of remorse from Matthew to mm-hmm. know that Matthew understands what he did. Um, and so then Matthew just starts reciting the names of everyone that he killed, um, including what they looked like, where they were when he did it. That one of them gave her time to the orphan asylums in the city. <laughs> yes, one of them did. One of them did. Um, but there were so many that it takes him all night to recite the names of all of these people that he killed. We do see true remorse for Matthew here. Um, he does say that he can't change the past, but he is truly sorry for what he did. And this is enough to change Ransom's mind. He shakes his hand and agrees to join the Scion. And it's it's what we needed. I will say the actor who plays Ransom is very good. And I wish we got more of seeing him and Matthew together because mm-hmm. they're both very good actors and they're both kind of tall and yeah. And and they both have like a good presence on screen. And I mm-hmm. wish we had more of that. Um, but generally speaking, I, I just don't like this scene. It's it, it's it, because of everything else that doesn't make sense. To me, this scene doesn't make sense. Not because like yeah. the way that they constructed this particular scene doesn't make sense. Well, hit my mic. So <laughs> I'm like gesturing intensely here. <laughs> um, but because... The, just the whole setup for New Orleans makes zero sense whatsoever. So by the time we get to this, I'm just like, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. I do. I think I just like it because we do finally see Matthew showing true remorse. Yeah. And we haven't actually seen that because he has just accepted, I did my duty. Like, I don't want to do this anymore moving forward. But the things that I did, I did for a reason. And he has just always accepted that, and now he's moving on from it. And so to see him actually show remorse and even regret was nice. And it does lead us to, um, you know, we have a quick cut scene where he calls Cyanna to tell her the good news, blah, blah, blah. But then we get Matthew and Marcus together. And Matthew finally actually apologizes to Marcus. Yes. Right? And think back to the Matthew and Marcus that we met in the very first episode of season one. That Matthew would never have apologized to Marcus. That's fair. Um, and I think that's why I like these scenes because it just, it gets us to this point. Okay. That, that's a fair point. I do, I do like that he apologizes to Marcus and that they and Marcus have, uh, deserved it. Yeah. So, I, sorry. I, I that was me talking a whole lot. No, that's fine. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, it's just that the whole setup not making sense makes, mm-hmm. uh, destroys those moments for me. Yeah, no, I I completely understand that. Especially the apologizing to Marcus almost because Marcus not knowing exactly what was going on with all this makes zero sense. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, sorry. And so then we end the episode in Venice. Benjamin tries to recruit Satu. So when we saw the scene with Benjamin and Gerbert, I thought he was just like at Gerbert's home in Venice. But no, he's on like the congregation island. Yep. What the fuck is he doing there? How did he get there? How does nobody know he's there? That makes no sense. 
The congregation wants Benjamin dead. Why is he there? I mean, <laughs> Gerber had him there, which is makes sense. No, and it doesn't. Gerber would never, because then the the congregation would know that he's working with him. Like, uh, well, okay, that's would fair. Not yeah, it makes sense that. that Gerber would have him at his home, not yes. at the congregation. But there was, there's no other place for him to confront Satu. Except that's not actually true, as we see in the next episode and in, like, the next time on. Like, we see Benjamin and Satu together again. Yes. Clearly at Gerber's home. And also, like, as far as we know, they don't sleep on the congregation island. So, like, since she's spending so much time there, she probably has a place in town. In town, I say. You know what I mean. On the Venice mainland. Yeah. Yeah. So, I just... (sighs) I think they probably just maybe were saving money by reusing sets. I sure one hundred percent, but it it was just another thing in this nonsensical episode that was nonsensical. Yeah, Satu does refuse to be recruited by Benjamin because she believes that she's going to come against Diana herself, and it's going to be just her and Diana, power against power, and mm-hmm. she wants nothing to do with any of their other petty power struggles. Yeah, so she says. So she says. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, the song that plays here. So there was a song earlier in the episode that I didn't catch enough the lyrics to look up. I didn't particularly care for it either. Um, I mean, it was fine in the episode, but whatever. But the song that plays here at the end is called Waking Up, and it is by MJ Cole and Freya Ridings. Okay. And I just liked that it was very simple for me to find. Oh, (laughs) good. I honestly didn't notice much of the music this episode. Yeah. Overall, I mean, like we said, this was a very lackluster episode. Yeah. Um, I think it is my least favorite of the entire season. It's definitely my least favorite. Especially on the heels of episode two, which was so good. Yep. Another thing about the vampires in New Orleans, which I can't remember if I've talked about this with you or with somebody else, but like they are technically de Clermonts. Baldwin could show up anytime and give them orders. Mm-hmm. Like... Why would they not just, like, I get that they wanted to talk to Matthew and, you know, settle settle the old, settle the history between them. But why would they not immediately be, yes, we don't want to be under Baldwin's thumb either. Like, I get that Baldwin mostly leaves them alone, but they are technically part of the family, the way that vampire families work. And I don't see why they wouldn't just be like, yes, we don't want to listen to Baldwin either. I mean, hatred will make you do stupid things, and they hate Matthew. I guess. So, is there anything else that we need to talk? I mean, we we really kind of covered everything, and we've already done the book bits too. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'm okay. I think the bit with Satu and Benjamin is very much against who Benjamin was in the book. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Maybe not yet. I guess. Maybe that's later. It's been so long since I've read the book, I don't entirely remember. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say there's some stuff coming up that I forgot happened in the book. I texted you <laughs> when I was watching the episodes, and I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot that happened. <laughs> um, so that'll be fun to talk about, but that's still a couple more episodes away. Yes. So we would love to know what you think so far of season three. And did you disagree with any of our... You know, this episode makes no sense. Um, so you can tweet us at Desire Made Real, or you can email us. We have an email. It is something. 
desiremaderealpod at gmail.com. Yes. And just email us your thoughts or if there's anything you thought we um, messed up here or that we're being too harsh. I don't think we are. Anyways, I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And I am Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can give me a shout out over on Twitter at Mandy Kay. Join us next week as we talk about episode four, when it looks like the babies are making an appearance. Until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there's a new beginning. Mm-hmm.